Welcome to SpaceCast, the Space Concordia podcast. My name is Jonathan Bissonnette. My role in Space Concordia used to be a ex-Rocketry Division uh, member under the lead of Juan S. Prieto. And I will be your host today, and I'm joined as well by my co-host, Mario. Hello, everyone. My name is Mario. I'm the Systems Engineering Lead for the Spacecraft Division, and I'll be the co-host. Today, we welcome our podcast. On our podcast, Amanda Spilkin and Rim Shaid. Thank you very much for joining us. Can you uh, start, tell us about yourselves a little bit? Sure. Um, so, uh, my name is Amanda. Um, I founded the Space Health Division in early 2019, uh, probably around the month of February, and we started off as a special project. Um, that's been my passion really for the last two years. Um, at the same time, I was doing my master's in physics and I was specializing in medical imaging. Um, my biggest, uh, I guess, goal in all of this is to be able to have some kind of footprint in um, the future of setting up the next civilization in some kind of celestial body. Uh, I think it's really cool just that we're living through another space age. And uh, above all, I never thought that I was actually going to end up doing my two passions, which are doing brain imaging and space. And I got to put them together and form the space health team. What about you, Rim Shaid? Hey, so yeah, my name is Rim Shaid. Uh, I'm an undergraduate student in second year mechanical engineering. Um, I joined Space Health about a year ago um, during quarantine. And uh, as a space student, my passions are space engineering and space medicine. So Space Health really gives me the opportunity to bring these two passions together. Beautiful. So can you explain the process of, as to how uh, Space Health came to be? Sure. Can you answer the yeah, question? Yeah, definitely. So I want to start off by saying that the reason why um, it is not just myself, but Rim as well, is because we are currently um, uh, doing the handing over of the lead uh, role in Space Health right now. So uh, we are currently co-leading the Space Health team. Um, I will start off giving a little bit of background history on how space health came to be and where we're at. So, um, as I said, it started in 2019. Um, I had been working on a project uh, during my master's, which was a collaboration with MDA and the National Research Council. Uh, and the purpose of the research project was to develop a portable FNIR sensor that was eventually going to be using, uh, that was going to be used on pilots and astronauts during flight to measure um, something called um, uh, mental workload. So basically measuring how many tasks could be done at once um, by pilots and astronauts and be able to keep a leveled brain activity without showing too much stress. So I thought this was really interesting. Um, I got the idea also that, okay, we have a Space Concordia organization. I think it's really cool to add a human element uh, to Space Concordia. And seeing that there was so much investment from Canada uh, at the moment uh, in space medicine, I decided to bring it forward to Space Concordia. Um, 
obviously uh, it kind of started off like as a very small team. Um, after one year of being a special project, we were at around 20 people in our group and we became an official organization or I should say subdivision uh, under Space Concordia in May 2020. And uh, today we are around 30 strong. Uh, we have two supervisors, which are tenured professors at Concordia. Uh, and we've been um, acknowledged by the Department of Physics to actually have students enroll in the thesis project and have it credited for school. So it's been a good ride. Beautiful. Can you uh, actually tell us about the first project? I heard it was a uh, project 1.0. Can you delve into what the actual project was? Sure. So uh, we're doing it in unison with uh, Space Concordia's rocketry team, uh, and they are partaking in both the Canadian um, uh, Launch Canada Challenge and also Base 11. Uh, so we are currently doing a collaboration with them where we are putting our uh, microfloatic platform uh, inside of one of their payload um, spots. And uh, we're planning to send our microfloatic platform uh, to 100 kilometers up. And the purpose of this platform is to measure uh, the change in gene regulation due to hypergravity and microgravity. And it translates into seeing uh, why the human immune response changes when you're exposed to these types of uh, gravi um, gravitational forces. We want to see why astronauts get sick when they're in outer space and when they come back, they have a it seems like there's some kind of correlation between coming back from being in microgravity and um, getting instantaneous colds, flus, etc. Uh, so we want to know what the deal is. So, yeah. Mm. Wonderful. Um, and then uh, could you give me an idea of what the, your role was specifically for Project 1.0? Sure. Um, so I served as lead on the team. Um, since it is a new division and you're really trying to build it up from you know from scratch uh you're not only taking taking a scientific role but you're doing a lot of the administration creating collaborations between industry professors etc so a lot of it had to do with not only the science aspect but a lot of logistics organization and building the team up uh, also being able to transfer knowledge a lot, right? And finding the right mentors that can give you the good information to get the group comfortable with the topic. Uh, Rim maybe can explain a little bit more about uh, what we have been doing, let's say on our platforms. Um, Rim, could you elaborate maybe from a perspective experimental biotech and also um, on the platform of control systems? Uh, sure. So for Project 1.0, it would be more for control systems and payload system, uh, payload uh, team. Um, so our control system team is working more on sensors, so radiation sensors, uh, Geiger counters, etc. And myself and one of our members, Jonathan, are the two sensor specialists. So from the beginning of the project, I've been more of a sensor specialist and uh, dealing with the safety aspects of the project. So risk management, failure analysis. Um, moving onward, uh, we decided to create with Amanda a new safety team. So I'm going to stay as payload control system safety officer, but Amanda will be taking the role of chief safety officer and she's going to be the one representing us for um, the base 11 challenge and the um, parabolic flight with Project Plaza. 
Um, so if you want, Amanda, you can explain a little bit about the microfluidic chip and the biogen experiment. So right now we are talking about the payload really getting integrated into the rocket. Uh, now inside of the payload, what is happening? So we have multiple comp components that are operating at the same time inside of the payload. So as we was saying, we have uh, different sensors that are going to be measuring uh, just like ambient, ambient environment. We're going to see what is the effect of radiation also in space. We want to know exactly uh, how fast a rocket is traveling to give us a good hypergravity profile. But the reason we want these things is really to be able to see what is happening inside of this microfluidic chip. Inside of this microfluidic chip, we have yeast cells. And yeast cells are very similar to human eukaryotic cells. A lot of the genes actually overlap. And what our biogenetics team has been doing is identifying the exact genes that are present both in human cells and in yeast cells. And we wanna be able to see how much is the reproduction or let's say degradation of gene regulation uh, occurring over this flight. So we wanna see how much do we see upregulation or downregulation of certain genes that are actually uh, associated to the human immune response. If we see that there is some genes that shoot up in quantity and basically reproduction, or let's say there's degradation and they're not reproducing, depending on what the responsibility of these specific genes are, maybe we can see this is why astronauts are getting sick. Maybe this is why uh, when uh, astronauts come back down to Earth, they start having symptoms of things that normally they don't have symptoms of. I mean, astronauts are probably the fittest and healthiest people that we are ever aware of. So we want to know what is really happening when someone's exposed to this type of gravitational force. Yeah, well, I think it's it's quite interesting, right, that I mean, you just go like nine Gs, you know, like the, the, I don't I'm not too sure the specific forces that these astronauts go through. Right, but the hypergravity, uh, that's, uh, they go through quite a lot of, it's a lot of force, right? So I'm, I'm sure that your body must deteriorate or cause, you know, cause the diseases or that you may be studying, right? So it sounds really interesting to study how, you know, the impacts of the C cell would also. They have correlations where they have like test pilots that actually do 9G. So the ones that do parabolic flights and they do uh, like test pilot aerobatics, they are exposed to 9Gs and they also seem to get more sick. So it's really interesting when you hear of like astronauts that yeah, and it's pretty interesting to you maybe know. we can study that like a uh, space concordia yeah. spa uh, human space flight division. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So yeah, but uh, it sounds so, interesting. So you talked about uh, like yeast cells and their similarities to human cells. Could you explain? I don't know if you're knowledgeable on this. Uh, the sources of error that would come from uh, studying a yeast cell compared to a human cell? Definitely. So obviously, um, based on the current literature, I mean, they have studies that test microgravity over periods of six months. So knowing this, obviously our flight with base 11 is much shorter than that. It's in the range of under 10 minutes. So what are we doing in order to ensure that our study is uh, still being um, based on something that's more substantial? We are doing also ground experiments. 
And so we're doing so with um, something called the random positioning machine. And currently we're actually waiting for it to get shipped from Europe. Uh, so we have already arranged that and it's on its way. So can't wait to finally start testing the ground experiment. Uh, we are testing it via the RPM machine. And what it does, it's a three axis, uh, three axis platform that uh, is operating and um, rotating in a spherical motion randomly. And it creates this effect of um, reduced gravity. So the way it works is that when you put the platform in the middle of these uh, three arms that are going to be turning around themselves in a random order, you're canceling the net effect of uh, the net gravitational force. So meaning that you're creating the sense of microgravity. You're not actually creating um, real microgravity. Uh, microgravity because we're on earth so you're using uh basically this random positioning and constant motion in order to cancel out the uh, forces in x y z now super interesting is that what do we want to also use this for hypergravity so by increasing the speed you're going to be able to mi mimic hypergravity and what is also hypergravity, if you don't mind explaining uh, anything, anything that is larger than one g is considered uh, hypergravity. Makes sense. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, in this case, we're going to be tweaking it to different levels. And another thing that's super interesting is that if you reduce the speed, but you still have it, uh, let's say, traveling in random motions for a given amount of time, but you slightly reduce the speed, you're reducing also the gravitational force. And you can go to something like one third G, which is going to be the gravity uh, on Mars, gravitational force on Mars. And if you decrease even a little more, you go to one sixth and you can mimic the gravitational force on the moon. So it's really a platform that could be used to mimic multiple gravitational forces. Yeah. And do like cell study with it, right? Which is insane. I guess that's cool. How yeah. cool is that, right? <laughs> Yeah, how cool is that? So, cool. Yeah, maybe maybe you'll be able able to apply this to the Mars mission that Elon Musk is uh, trying to get completed <laughs> by twenty twenty four. Yeah. So, is this spherical or like the spherical random orientation? Is this done when you're going up to space? Is this done on Earth or is it done like at, in space completely? So, this is our ground experiment. This is going to be done in um, Concordia's EV building. Um, we are collaborating with some professors, so we do have uh, some place to put our equipment. So we're very, very fortunate. Uh, this is going to be done all on Earth. And then our platforms that are going into space, well, for now, it's Base 11. And uh, we are also working towards a parabolic flight with Project Possum and SEDS Canada. Um, but hey, if you want to give us a ticket on uh, any, uh, you know, Shepard or... SpaceX uh, thing. Uh, we'll take the we'll take the ticket if you want. <laughs> maybe maybe if you want must listen to this podcast. You'll, yeah, uh, there's, uh, I'm sure there's a lot of uh, launch opportunities like that. You know, like um, for I guess they're kind of limited. I don't know now. I guess with COVID, I don't know how really things, but I'm sure there has been a lot of launch opportunities for that. Sort of like microgravity flights. Um, yeah, you've been. I'm, I know you've been searching. Yeah. In the United States, they have 
a lot of companies that are providing uh, some payload room uh, on these different platforms, launch platforms, launch vehicles, I should say. Um, it's a lot more popular in the United States. At the moment, there's one company that is available in Toronto uh, that is a right-hand man to um, Blue Origin. Um, at the moment, I don't think any flight has taken place. COVID has made a lot of things really funky over the last year, but I think we're doing pretty okay. And we'll go with uh, we'll go hey, with a publication first yeah. with what we're working Two on. Of them secured. So, it's gonna serve really. It's yeah. gonna be really good calibration data for the the process that you're trying to to do here with the gravitation, the gravitational yeah. wheel. Yeah, it's a first step. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah. so this project is still, this is project 1.0, right? So it's still going on. It's not fully complete at the moment. It's not fully completed, um, but we are already at the point where we are starting to build. We're past our design phase. And uh, we plan to be able to have a full prototype of our study by August. Was this originally supposed to be sent? I remember the rocketry, um, not super sunrise, but the, I don't remember the actual name of the rocket they were building. Um, was that supposed to be sent with it back in May 2020 before all of COVID occurred? Yeah. So uh, things were a little challenging. Actually, I'm kind of... I'm kind of okay with the delay now that I see where our team is at and the amount of knowledge that we've gathered over the last year. So um, it was somewhat disappointing when we couldn't work on our prototype and we couldn't launch last May. But at the same time, I'm looking at it from a positive perspective. I have Rim that joined and uh, she's really my right-hand woman. So uh, I guess I'll be her right-hand woman after next week when we transition lead positions. <laughs> Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm a bit curious, Amanda. Uh, what's causing you to? Okay. What's causing the leave? You know, what's causing the change? I'm graduated. I submitted my, oh my thesis God. two days ago. That's so exciting. Yeah. What's what was your thesis on? Um, so I'm graduating from a master's in physics. Uh, I specialize in brain imaging. I am specifically working on something called functional near infrared spectroscopy. Um, so I'm looking at changes in blood concentration levels in the brain when you are doing a certain activity, meaning that you have a rush of blood to a specific brain region when you are doing a task and you have an associated brain region that is responsible for providing energy supply. Mm. That energy supply obviously comes with a different a whole lot of mechanisms, but I measured that change in blood concentration level through something called FNIRS. Mm. And uh, anyways, I started my career also. So I'm working still in um, biomedical devices. And uh, I'm very happy that I picked something that was, that's basically I can continue working on both medical devices and I can work on space health. Yeah. Because it's very related. Yeah, it seems like you hold a lot of different hats, you know, um, and are quite busy all around. Uh, I'm sure you've, you're excited that you were able to find someone like Rim, who seems to be so uh, involved in the project. Rim is Rim is also very busy, though. Yeah, for sure. And you know what they say? When you want to get something done, you give it to a busy person. Mm. So that's why Rim's the right person for this. Yeah. Yeah. 
how do you feel transitioning into the new role, Rim? Oh my God, it's such a big, you know, I, I would be super excited. I don't know. I am really excited. It's super exciting. Um, I've been kind of in the loop uh, about this since February, but it hasn't been official since uh, this month, this month, obviously. So, and I've been shadowing Amanda since day one in uh, May of 2020. <laughs> so I'm really, really excited to see like where we're going to bring everything from now on. Um, yeah, it sounds exciting. You know, it's always good to to have also, people in there in the leadership positions. Yeah, but it's also such like big shoes to fill in because Amanda literally created both projects and the whole division. Yeah, well, you always have them. You know, you always have Stephen. You always have Amanda. That's the philosophy yeah, of Space of Concordia. We always have good mentors. Of course. <clears throat> can you? Uh, so I guess we can. Uh, change the topic and go a little bit more into uh, Project 2.0. Uh, mm -hmm. I would like to hear more about this. I have a slight knowledge on it, uh, but if you, uh, Amanda or Rim, would like to talk more about it, it'd be very yeah. nice to hear. Rim, you take it because you've been really, yeah, active in it. Sure. Um, if you want, I can let you kind of give context of the project and then I'll explain specifically what our team is doing. Yeah, for sure. sure. And you can... You can talk more about what you did specifically as well as you want. Do you want me to take the intro or you take it? Take it. Go ahead. Uh, you, you can give just yeah, the context. The big, okay. So Project 2.0, we started um, last year. And we, had, we started off with having our first ever uh, student thesis on this in the physics department. So prior to officially starting the project, we had one of our members called Ariel. Uh, she delivered an amazing thesis. Uh, she was looking at um, how a healthy heart operates on Earth and gave all physiological parameters. So like things like heart rate, uh, blood volume, uh, ejection fraction, um, looking at a whole range of different physiological variables where we can say, okay, so this is how you characterize a healthy person. And we were looking at the demographic of astronauts who we were saying, okay, we're looking specifically, um, since now at the moment, uh, men are still, um, there are still more men astronauts than female astronauts. So we're looking at a demographic of 35 to 50 years old. So we're trying to classify, okay, this is a healthy heart. This is a healthy circulatory system. And then what we were looking at is, okay, so hold on. There's something called orthostatic hypotension, which happens to every single astronaut when they come back down to Earth. Okay, do you, I don't want to interrupt you here, but I just want, can you explain what ortho, uh, orthostatic know, hypotension? Yeah. So when you're in space, you have um, a blood shift throughout your body. So right now at the moment, we have around five liters of blood in our body and it's getting pumped at, let's say, a, an average rate of seven of, um, sorry, not five liters of blood in your body, but five liters of blood per minute go across your heart in uh, every minute. So this is what we are basing ourselves off. We also know a normal person has 70 beats per minute. And when we're looking at hypotension, we see that because um, astronauts who are in space for a prolonged amount of time, this fluid shift uh, changes throughout the body, meaning you have more blood that goes into the upper half of your body and the lower half of your body, ha body has less blood. 
but yet somehow your body is still remaining, uh, your heart still remains with the same kind of um, activity where you're trying to pump five liters per minute and you're also around 70 beats per minute. When you come back down to earth, somehow this fluid shift throughout your body kind of gives you this destabilizing feeling. And sometimes this may cause changes to the physiological variables that you're usually used to uh, operating your circulatory system. So normally this is characterized by a little bit of dizziness and you might feel like you have like blood that is getting drained from the upper part of your body to your feet because you're back in Earth's gravitational field. So this is a little bit of orthostatic hypotension zoom forward a little bit um if you're trying to look at um the context of project 2.0 now we use ariel's model of um she ran a computational fluid dynamics model on a healthy heart and then a healthy person but with blood flowing through the um an artery in microgravity and you could see that things don't really change that much when you're in space but we want to know why all of a sudden they change when you come back down to Earth. And what they found is that uh, through doing some longevity studies on astronauts, they found that around 5% of astronauts develop different cardiovascular problems at an early age in life. And there's a certain number of uh, pathologies that tend to arise more than others. So just the fact that 5% uh, that astronauts are 5% more likely to develop cardiovascular problems at an early age compared to people that haven't traveled to space. We want to know if this extreme change in gravitational force has something to do with development and onset of cardio, cardio uh, of uh, heart pathologies. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the big picture of project 2.0. Would you like to add on? Ren? Uh, yeah, sure. If you want, I can give you more details about the technical aspects. So exactly what is our team doing and how are the tasks divided? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so for project 2.0, we have our bio biogenetics team and our experimental biotechnology team. Currently, where, where the project is, um, the biogen is still um, developing their experiments, but the biotechnology team is already starting to work hands-on on the project. Um, so we're divided in two groups, the scientists versus the engineers. Um, I can start explaining a little bit more about the engineering tasks. So we have uh, the robotics. Uh, the robotics students are working on robots, so soft robots, origami robots, and piezoelectric sensors robots. Um, so the way these are going to be used is the heart. We have the heart at the middle of our system. And we want to simulate the cardiac cycle, so the alternating between contraction and relaxation. And the way uh, we are choosing to do this is to use a soft robot. So if you don't know what a soft robot is, basically it's going to be a long tube that is going to be we're going to be able to um, control the contraction and decontraction of it, and it's going to be enrolled around the heart. And as it contracts, the heart is going to contract. Now the problem with that with that technique is that you can control the contraction but not the relaxation, and because of this, we are uh, collaborating with a professor from Polytechnique, uh, who's a, she's a specialist in piezoelectric materials. And what piezoelectric materials are, um, they're materials that deform once you apply an electric field 
field. And as soon as you take off, recharge the electric field, they're going to decontract. So we're going to be able to control the um, relaxation way better with this. Um, the problem with that is that it uses a technique um, of crystals. So you have small crystal centers that are going to be put around the heart and they're going to be applying the field. The problem is the crystals are so small that um, the field is not big enough to control to contract the whole heart, but only parts of it. So what our team is going to be doing over the summer is figure out a way to make uh, the contraction apply to the whole heart. So that's what our robotics team is working on right now. We also have our concept designers, which are going to be modifying and designing the whole system. So the hydraulics, the CAD design, and the 3D printing of the left atrium and all the hard parts. Um, and finally, we're going to be having our test team. So they're going to test the system. They're going to perform the flow analysis of the blood flow of the system and of the hydraulic system. So that's for the engineering. And then we have the second aspect, which is the science team. And the science team is kind of divided between three general aspects. You have the medical imaging, which Amanda has been kind of leading. Um, she already kind of explained, but we're going to be using the fMRI and ultrasound methods. So fMRI for ground experiments. And then once into the parabolic flight, we're going to be using the ultrasound. And then there's the data science team, which are going to take all the data and then analyze it. And finally, we have the pathologies team. So this is the team that's doing all the background research on every single pathology that we're going to be using and working with the doctors to ensure that all of our data is correct. Um, that's pretty much an overview of our project. Um, Amanda, do you want to kind of explain a little bit more about the biogenetics team? Yeah, before explaining that, I wanted to explain so the big, big picture of uh, how we're trying to integrate the science of uh, piezoelectric sensors and the pathologies is that uh, with Professor Kadema Concordia University Mechanical Engineering Department, uh, we have students that are working with his graduate students. And so we're joining our brains together. And what we want to do is create a dummy system. Uh, they're called phantoms in scientific terms. And what phantoms are, are 3D printing these hearts and integrating them into circuitry where we're going to be able to interchange heart parts according to pathologies and we're going to be able to simulate these pathologies and then also change variables using these sensors because we'll be able to regulate heart rate, we'll be able to regulate the contractions, we'll be able to also uh, take in information uh, from the fake blood that is pumping through our system because we'll be using uh, silicone for printing. And with silicone, it's compatible both with MRI and it's compatible with ultrasound imaging. So we'll be able to be able to interchange these pathologies just with our hands by taking 3D printed parts and being able to rescrew them and uh, sensor, sensors will also be uh, fastened to them. And then we'll be able to put them in imaging devices to be able to see, okay, so if this were a human being, what would we be seeing? Is this going to be pumping like a healthy heart? Is this going to be pumping like a person, uh, mm. like a heart with a big pathology? Can we send this kind of person to space? Can they go for flights for space tourism? Is this too risky for them? So when you think of a big picture, 
it's number one to help people with cardiovascular pathologies, but it's really also paving the path for space tourism and being able to see who can fly, who can't fly. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm, I I'm gotta say, we're, we're, we're really proud of our team. Yeah, teams, amazing. So. Um, I'm really curious <laughs> yeah. a little bit more about the, the specific, like the, the way of your, the way of actuating the heart. Um, because that yeah. seems like a very complicated process to do. You know, I'm assuming it's sort of like a muscle sack material, right? <laughs> um, I'm not too yeah. sure, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not really, a, I'm not that, you know, anatomically uh, knowledgeable, but, um, I'm just curious as to like, I'm a, I am a little bit electrically knowledgeable. So I'm just curious about how these processes sure. would, uh, how, how would you beat the heart? You know, like that's what I'm most curious about. Definitely. So we switched out the idea of actuators that we initially mm -hmm. had. And, uh, so there are two methods. So number one is that with so soft robots, okay. uh, and soft robots, uh, if you come from a little bit of a mechanical or even electrical perspective, it's basically a kind of tubing that, uh, when you want to create a contraction, you can either, uh, create a tension with this tubing that goes around the heart and it contracts and it's going to squeeze the heart, pumping blood outwards. And once you release it, it's coming in from the descending aorta into the heart. So that is kind of the understanding of how it's going to be pumping with soft robots. Um, on the side of piezoelectric sensors, uh, as Rim was saying, it's um, basically crystalline structure that has the ability of receiving input. And this input usually takes place in the form of voltages and is going to also be able to contract or relax the heart. Um, since this is a brand new topic for us, uh, we literally had our meeting last week with Wise Kadem and Dr. Botke from Polytechnic. Uh, we'll be working with her and she's going to be training us on piezoelectric sensors. Cool. Learning. I have a question about uh, so how is the microgravitational force I guess resembled uh, in this experiment because obviously it's not going to be done in space right so how how is that applied into the the shake heart per se? So we're not looking only at microgravity or hypergravity as a platform for our experimentation. We're looking at the we're looking at the literature that is available. And what is being currently tested for deep space travel? If we see that um, cardiovascular pathologies seem to be going up uh, in people that have flown in space, we want to be able to see how can we mitigate this for future astronauts or people that want to do space tourism. So this experiment over here, we're planning to still run it on a parabolic flight. However, our priority right now is to be able to create this dummy system um, where we can simulate circulatory system uh, pathologies. We want to see the way heart pathologies are basically um, manifested. And based on this, we're going to be able to take that platform once we build it, and we're going to be able to test it in microgravity environment. 
Um, one thing that's pretty good to mention about our project is that the goal of our collaboration with the Cardiovascular Laboratory of Fluid Dynamics with the SKDEM and Space Health is that we want to build, the end goal is to build a system, so a synthetic heart simulator that's not going to be only used for Space Health students, but that's going to be open to the public. And so the problem with a lot of labs is that you cannot ac access the simulators that are um, inside of their labs. And what we want is to have an open lab. So other university students, other professors and medical doctors are going to be to test their pathologies, to test their systems into our simulator. So that could be really helpful for the medical uh, field. Definitely. How, how has it uh, been during like this COVID pandemic? How has it been trying to work on these projects if you can't physically actually be together working on it? <laughs> the amount of stuff you have to do to make things work <laughs> um it was absolutely brutal at the beginning because nobody could see each other and it was so difficult because even if you have the equipment at home and you have let's say meetings outside you realize that you do need a connection to an outlet you do need a place to work on CADs. You do need to be able to be together for over an hour because 3D printing can take a day. So mm -hmm. it was extremely challenging uh, for Project 1.0. Uh, I'm happy to say that Project 2.0 probably went even faster than Project 1.0, even though it started a year later um, because of the nature of the project. So for project 1.0, it was extremely difficult to start building a payload and testing electronics for a payload uh, since you don't have all the brains in one spot and you don't have all the components you need. For project 2.0, however, uh, we were lucky enough that um, project 2.0 was taking place more, let's say, at the, uh, from the beginning of 2021 up to now. So we have been able to have one person over, let's say, if you live by yourself, work two at a time. Um, let's say somebody's working on a CAD, 3D printer is at my house. I get the CAD, I try printing it, I have a prototype, I report the results on the prototype. A lot of logistics and a lot of... Um, uh, it it actually showed us the value of hiring a systems engineer for our group. And uh, that is something that in this year to come, a systems engineer will be absolutely necessary to manage the two projects. Is the, is the payload for Project 1.0 finished at the moment or no? No. 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 Okay. So we have we have like the bio um, we have the lead of the biogen team that has the CRISPR kit and the petri dishes and the entire biological part at his at his home. Then we are still trying to do our outgassing tests, which will be done in um, Tremblant. And uh, it is it is very challenging, but we know that probably now more than ever we are ready because we have everything that we need and it's uh we now have access to concordia under a supervisor and we will have access to lab space so we are not so worried anymore 
Yeah. Also, uh, one thing I would say for Project 2.0 that made it much easier for us than Project 1.0 is that from the nature of Project 2.0, it necessitated a lot of research before we could actually start the practical aspect of the project. So for the past, for the first eight months of the project, we've been just doing research and uh, liter literature, re reading articles, medical articles, etc. And so we just now started the uh, actual practical aspect. And now we have access to the lab of Professor Kadem over the summer. So it's been really great for the timeline. Amanda, you mentioned uh, the you mentioned CRISPR in the payload for Project 1.0, and I have some fundamental knowledge, not really that much, but like from what my understanding is CRISPR is used, you are able to transfer genes from a specific, any type of organism into a certain cell. Um, how is that being applied for the, the payload for mm -hmm. Project 1.0? Yeah. Um, so I'll be able to explain a little bit about the big picture of it. Um, my background is not at all in biology or microbiology. However, um, what is uh, desired in this is uh, through something called a hybrid. Uh, so it's called the nanoglobulin uh, lytic detection system, and the purpose of this is to be able to um, take take a yeast cell, look at the DNA formulation of it, be able to identify the genes that we are looking at for the purpose of our launch or the purpose of the ground experiment. Uh, once we have found this gene, you wanna be able to go put in this lytic, um, this lysis. Um, it, technically it's called protein tagging. You would tag the gene that you want to be expressed. And basically, when you do put in the microfluidics platform and you run this experiment with hypergravity, you're going to be able to see the amount of regulation, of upregulation or downregulation of these specific genes um, by looking at a fluorescent spectrum. And this is basically the framework of uh, the experiment in terms of more specific than that, I can point you to our biogen lead. Um, I'm not super well versed in the rest of the project, but the rest of their side of the project. Maybe we'll have them on the, the podcast one day. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess this is a good segue uh, to looking into the future of space health. So um, before we start this conversation, uh, Rim kind of. I had a little sneak peek to uh, Project 3.0. Yeah. I, would like to, uh, I don't know if you guys are allowed to. I mean, I don't know if there's any confidentiality to, with it, but uh, if you guys want to talk about what Project 3.0 is, yeah. uh, is for space health. It was, like it was decided. It was decided in this last week, so it's now official, <laughs> so there's no problem. So, okay. yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay, of course. So just to give you kind of a brief overview, Project 3.0 is going to be uh, researching cardiopulmonary resuscitation techniques in space. So how to perform CPR in space. Um, so to give you a little bit of context of why we're studying this, currently in space, there haven't been any um, cardiac arrest problems. That being said, astronauts are some of the healthiest and fittest people there is. So they have a lot of physical strength and healthy mental mental strength. strength. Um, but there are two aspects with the new space era that 
makes uh, CPR and space so important. The first one being um, the return to human space flight into longer and extended stays uh, in space, and obviously going more into deep space. So with the new Artemis program, humans are going to go back to the moon, and afterwards they're going to go back to Mars. Um, so already with like the International Space Station, which is pretty closer to the Earth compared to moon or the Mars, there have been astronauts which have had um, cardiac uh, heart arrhythmias, heart arrhythmias which are heart problems, uh, heart rhythm problems. And so heart arrhythmias can lead to cardiac arrest. And if you're put into longer uh, exposure of microgravity, that's a big problem that we want to investigate for the astronauts, because if you have a problem on Mars, you don't have a way to come back to the Earth to treat it. You don't have an embolus to bring you back. So that's a big problem. The second problem is going to be space tourism. Um, if you have astronauts going to space, they're extremely fit and usually they're very healthy. If you have regular people going to space, you have all kind of, kinds of backgrounds of people for people. Some of these people may have uh, medical history, may have predisposition to medical problems. And so if there is a problem in space, you need to be able to perform emergency procedures. So right now in the space medicine, uh, medicine world, um, there is a lot of research being done for CPR in space. And if you know the astronaut Tomapiske, he's done a lot of uh, videos explaining how to perform CPR in space. That being said, there are over four um, techniques that exist right now, but none of them is completely efficient. And so what we want to do for space health is to study these techniques and develop one technique that's going to be very efficient and that's going to be really helpful for CPR and resuscitation in space. And that's great because that's a perfect, that's a beautiful uh, parallel for our project 2.0, which is studying the heart in space. So how is the CPR being um, resembled on Earth? So you can't actually test the CPR uh, in space, right? So how is this going to be done on Earth and how is it going to resemble space? Okay, of course. So just to give you kind of an overview of why it doesn't work in space, right now on Earth, the way you perform CPR is that you have the risker that's going to be on top of the patient, we're going to call it, of the patient, and they're going to use it, their weight to push on the chest and perform chest compressions. And so if you're in space, obviously you cannot do that if you're free floating in microgravity, because if you push on something, it's going to be pushed away from you. And so that makes uh, resuscitation impossible in microgravity. And the way they've, they've been studying how to fix this, um, there are a few methods. One is to kind of strap the person on the on the bottom. That being said, that is not that's one of the least um, um, how do you say effective methods. The one that Thomas Pesquet uh, has been showing is called the handstand let me just verify the word the handstand methods so basically you have uh the person lying on the ground that needs to be rescued and then you have the rescuer that is going to be on the handstand position with uh two between two walls that are going to be between two and 2.5 meters apart and it's very important that it's between two and 2.5 meters because they need to um push with their feet on the t on the wall and then push on the chest of the patient uh, one of the big problems and limitation of this method, again, is that you cannot control the weight that you're putting on the chest. And 
there is no support for the rescuer. So you, you don't have any support to control your chest compressions. So there is no um, effective technique that exists currently. Would you like to add anything, Mario, or no? Yeah, no, I mean, uh, I guess, uh, you know, I'm very happy that, uh, you know, I think a big, I sort of like reflection here that I think a biggish, I think a big concern with coming into space cells, you know, because I was there when you made it, Amanda, you know, like, uh, like, well, not you made it when, when it came to be right. Um, it was like, sort of like the sustainability and I'm, I'm very happy to see that, you know, you guys have been able to like be able to sustain even through the pandemic, you know, which was such a, you know, even space, like every other division had, you know, like, uh, struggled to keep members active, you know, um, and things like these. Um, and it's crazy that you guys, you know, are able to not only, not only like, stay alive, but also grow and develop, you know, which is, which is, uh, yeah. It was, yeah, it was tough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But, um, I think it was really, I think it was really, um, how do you say? It was helpful in some ways to be able to grow the team. It was hard to grow the team, but it still grew during the pandemic. So it worked out. Um, I think, I think when I look at Space Concordia, everyone's just genuinely interested in space. So I think that what really drove people to continuing is the fact that there is something that's coming out of this, right? Everybody knows that they want to probably commit their life to working in the space industry. And I think, uh, I think that gives a lot of the motivation, you know, you, you see that whatever project you're working on now, it's going to probably exist later and you're probably going to be working on something related to it. So, yeah. Especially, especially our collaboration with the cardiovascular fluid dynamics uh, laboratory with Professor Kadem, because for some of our students, this could be the beginning of a new position for master yeah. studies and graduate sure, studies. You know. um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you, Amanda. You know, and like uh, sort of the opportunities that you're able to grow with, with Space Concordia, right? And also the, the people that are taking them. You know, like they they the, oftentimes opportunities are there, right? But it's the it's the person that has to make the decision and hey, like hey, I want to do something. I want to take on some on something. And it's very it's sort of it's very interesting to see. It's very you know like it's great to see the fact that so many students are joining. You know, and sort of developing a culture within Space Concordia of sort of like, hey, we all want to be part of this, like, sort of development of space technologies, and we want to be space engineers, and we want to be scientists, you know, and like, and more in the idealistic state that university, like, uh, undergrad students are, you know, <laughs> it feels like, uh, you know, like, uh, the 9th and 5 hasn't beaten them down, hasn't beat them down. I guess so, but... Anyways, it's been a, it's been really cool. Also, um, I mean, a lot of our teammates, um, some of us haven't even met each other, right? So that's like another thing. I mean, um, we're just excited that like we stuck, we feel like we all became friends. However, we're only, some of us are only going to meet each other when this is all, this pandemic is over, right? So it's just interesting to see how, like, you know, people, like, really stay for a culture and a purpose, even though it's so hard, yeah. right? So, yeah. Students, man. Yeah. So. <laughs> 
Do you guys have any uh, suggestions for anyone who's trying to uh, join Space Concordia, like uh, in, especially in this environment, in this COVID environment, how they can start uh, helping uh, virtually? Because uh, personally, for me, like I, I um, for Rocketry Division, I left once COVID hit, and I haven't actually joined except for this specific podcast. And I would like to rejoin, and I know that uh, Concordia is going to become a hybrid uh, physical and virtual next semester, so I'd like to rejoin. And uh, But for people who want to join maybe during the summer, during this virtual, if you guys have any suggestions of what they can do to start helping or what they should learn before uh, they join the team. Sure. Yeah. Go, go ahead, Rim. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, I would say this is actually a discussion that we had um, a few weeks ago with some of our new members. And one of the main things that stops people from joining is that they're afraid of, um, they look at our project, so they're afraid of not being able to catch up with the older members and to not be able to help. And to that, I would say you can join with absolutely no experience and you're going to have a lot of room to learn and all the tools are going to be there for you to grab. So if you feel like you want to join, but you're kind of hesita hesitating because you don't know if you have the experience or if you're going to be able to to work. Don't don't think that at all. Like I have new members, and none of them had any experience. Like new members at university first years, and they're doing amazing right now because the only thing that you need is the will to learn, and everything that we're doing is pretty new. So even for the older members, we're all learning together. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know if. Without, I mean, just on my personal process, uh, I've been, you know, through a couple of years since Peace Concordia. And, and all I have to say to those people that, like, you know, like, oh, I don't want to join because I, I don't have the knowledge. I can't, I'm not going to be able to be useful, right? The point is, is that over time, you know, you become useful and you try to do things and you, you, you gain a lot of the knowledge through the process, right? And without those people, Space Concordia wouldn't be able to stay alive because people graduate, you know, naturally in this, in the environment that we're in, there's going to be a turnover. Right. So you're always, there's always going to be, a, a evolve. People can be always be evolving. Right. Um, yeah. And one thing I want to highlight actually is like, good thing you're pick, you're pointing that out, but like you just look at some of our veterans and our alumni, like people, I, this is what I tell new members all the time. Like they say, Oh, but like we're coming in and then you're leaving. So who are we going to learn from? Like the truth is that like the culture at Space Concordia, and I guess this is space industry because everybody has this common passion. You never really leave. <laughs> we have so many alumni that just like, you know, it's like they're, they've been graduated for two years, three years, and they still offer their help and they're still at PDRs and CDRs. And they're still like willing to like, you know, grab a beer with you. Like obviously now it's like e-beers you know, but like, like they want to grab a beer with you just to like, tell you like what to do and what problem, how to prepare this, like how to write, uh, how to write a PDR, you know, and it's so refreshing. So to all new members coming in, like, just because there's a turnover, like you're not really left to restart the, you don't have to re redesign the wheel all over again. If anything, you're picking up the information that's there you're going to be able to learn from like older members. And once the, it is time that they're the people that are more developed, like they'll feel comfortable because they'll have mentors, but they're going to be ready to take it on because they'll have learned the, they'll have learned to the ropes. Yeah. I think uh, we're very, we're beings of habit, right? And the more we do it, 
the more you do something, the more you you get used to it, and the more it becomes like a natural thing that you're able just to do. Yeah. Oh, another point that um, kind of scares the new members is the time management. They think, oh, with work, with school, with uh, space in Korea, am I going to be able to to manage all of this? And the beautiful thing with Space Concordia, all the divisions, is that it's a, on a voluntary basis. So if you feel like you cannot do more than a specific task, you don't have to do more than that specific task. You just have to say, it, hey, I'm going to work on this for now. And then you just do your work. If afterwards you feel like you can take out more tasks, you're free to do so. And if you need a break, you're also free to do so. Yeah. And also we're students. Amanda, you are... So. <laughs> Amanda, you, you, you said uh, that obviously you're leaving the leadership role of Space Health, but uh, you said that just people or leaders still stay in this uh, this kind of this role of being in the space industry. Are you are you gonna are you gonna keep working a little bit more with Space Health, like on the side as well? Yeah, until the plan so far is until September. I'll be kind of co-leading with Rim. Um, so because we have so many, let's say peaks of our projects coming up right now. Uh, so number one, we have, we're preparing currently for the, um, CVR for project 1.0. And we're also going to be starting our summer research program, um, with Dr. Elias Kadem. Um, these are two things that I think the more hands on board on deck, the better. So our RIM will officially be lead, but I will be slightly co-leading with her. And also I'll be taking the role of chief safety officer um, across both projects. So I am still having an official role in space health. Um, since I am staying at Concordia as a part-time researcher uh, after my graduation and aside from my job. So busy schedule, but I'm... Uh, I'm still committed to space help. How, how is it uh, collaborating with uh, Dr. Kadem? I had him personally for uh, thermodynamics and I have thought of him as being one of the best teachers at Concordia. And uh, I would be like, uh, honestly, a dream to work with him in some sort of project. Yeah. Hey, you got a chance there, man. Yeah. You have a chance here. He's looking, uh, he's looking at collaborating with us for the next two years, three years. So at least it's going to be tears for project 2.0. And by the way, project 3.0 is also going to be a collaboration with him. So we have a nice. good two years with him. Yeah. If you want to work towards going into a master's, a PhD in mechanical engineering and possibly working in uh, this field, this is a really good stepping stone. And you could form a really good relationship with uh, him and the projects in the lab and um, we, we encourage our students also, those who are in physics and bio and engineering, who are interested in following the path of going into a master's, um, not necessarily with Kadem, but once you have research experience and this kind of entire project development slash, uh, bio, biological, like bioengineering and, uh, biomedical engineering, it's a good, it's a good first step. For sure. And you get to do it about space as well, you know. And you get to do it about space. Yeah, yeah maybe maybe I just joined Space Health just for that sole reason of working with. <laughs> Look, yeah. a lot of people in Space <laughs> Incorporated are the most convincing people I've ever met, man. You know, so 
Uh, I don't know. It's okay. Well, anyways, yeah, maybe not uh, bring that up. <laughs> um, do you have any other questions you want to ask? Uh, what else do I want to ask? I mean, there's so many things, really. You know, like there's there are so many things, but we're, we're coming to the to the one hour mark, so it's it's getting a little long. So I wonder if you have any questions you'd like to ask. Okay. Me. Yeah. I mean. I mean, I, I guess, you know, maybe I could ask like a last question of, um, yeah, so I guess, I guess, I mean, you pretty guys pretty much went through everything, right? You guys are, how you guys came up to like all the management, the process of those couple of years, the projects, you know, even the personal aspects. I guess my question could be, uh, um, how personally do you feel about these projects? You know, like, how what does they take from you? Like, uh, how personally do you feel about working on these projects, you know, and like being involved? Um, I guess I can start because I, I started the process. Um, I, I mean, I went into this all in, uh, I devoted so many hours <laughs> in the last two years of my life that I can't even count them every week. Um, there were a lot of hurdles. Uh, there was a lot of building from scratch. There was a lot of also um, things that I didn't even think about at the beginning when I was building the projects. There was so much to learn. And if it wasn't for having people that were just as passionate as me about this cause, I don't think I would have made it. So I'm super committed to Space Health. That's why I'm staying on board still. Um, I also see a whole future too. Um, we are not only looking at our projects as Concordia projects, but like I said, we're collaborating with Miguel, we're collaborating with Polytechnic, we're collaborating with Profs at Concordia. We're also collaborating with, um, uh, in part with the Analog Astronaut Training Center in Poland, which is affiliated to ESA. Um, so, I mean, I know that a lot of our students, they're not, they're maybe planning on staying in Montreal or Canada or going to Europe, but like the projects are not just centralized to Concordia. The projects can be taken elsewhere because we have people that are part of other organizations that are willing to also collaborate, share their research with us. And for that reason, I think my personal outlook on these projects is even though there's hurdles and even though sometimes take, things take longer to manifest compared to what your expected timeline is and expected COVID timeline is, I think it's like really interesting to see how much has happened. And for that, like you don't want to let it go because you know that it's, you know that there's constant development. Sort so. of like, there's a, there's a, it's almost yeah. like your baby. Um, I wouldn't call it my baby. I definitely wouldn't call it my baby. I would definitely call it like almost like a discipliner. Okay. <laughs> like this took a lot of discipline. Yeah, I like, guess that's you why could say I, that babies take yeah. a lot of discipline, though. Absolutely what? not. <laughs> not. I don't know. I'm not a mom, but clearly this took a lot of discipline. Yeah, well, I, okay. I guess the correlation would be that. Uh, yeah. You, you know the baby's gonna take out of a lot of out of a lot of you you know like it's a lot yeah, of exactly. time yeah yeah I get yeah I guess I guess but I think uh, I think we're on a good path so 
Yeah. yeah. How about you, Rim? Yeah. Uh, so I'll be honest with you, Space Concordia is a huge priority in my life. Um, it's it's the main reason why I joined Concordia University. And uh, when I first joined, some of the older members told me straight up, you don't graduate from Concordia, you graduate from Space Concordia. And one year into the, the, the program, I can tell you that I understand that because the last year has been super intense. Uh, every single day has been, uh, something has been done for Space Concordia, for Space Health, whether it was research or projects, PDR or any task. Yeah, there's always, there's always something. I mean, you probably know this, Mario. There's always something to do. There's always, yeah, Yeah. it's always at the back of your mind. You're like, oh, I should really do that right now. There's always something. Yeah. 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 Every single day has been dedicated some part to space health. And to be honest with you, if I compare my first year of university and my second year with space health, I've grown so much more in the second year because you learn so much and you get so much experience that you don't get to to have uh, within classes um, Mm. courses. So. Yeah, I definitely want to stick with space health and some um, You know, I feel like space in Korea and like things like these teach you to be, you know, because you, they're so it's such a large group. Well, you know, you wanna you don't want to be that person who fails for the group or things like that. It sort of teaches you to be very dependable, right? And sometimes people who go and take very uh, like a lot of leadership and take a lot a lot of responsibility, they become to grow very very dependable. And I find that can sometimes, you know. You, uh, you, there's a lot on your schedule, you know, you'll, you'll be doing school, you'll be doing, you know, working I'm sh- with you, Amanda, and doing other research and, you know, doing, you know, trying to live life as well, right? Um, that uh, I'm sure it probably gets, uh, you know, almost tiring or it's almost deteriorating to your mental health. I don't know if you, right? How do you deal with that? How, how do you deal, how do you, you know, get the energy to keep going, you know, in the way? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people probably feel like this. I mean, I don't even have midterms anymore because I'm in grad school, right? <laughs> Tell you the truth, I admire you guys having doing so much Space Concordia stuff with midterms and finals. You guys are like an undergrad. Hats off. Um, in terms of like writing a thesis and running Space Health, um, it's extremely intense. A lot of long nights. A lot of telling people like, oh, hold on, I need to write an email and it's like 11 p.m. at night. Um, So there's a lot of, let's say, um, time sacrifice that you have to do, obviously, even when it has to do with like administrative stuff. And I think that's probably the the most tedious stuff, uh, the administrative stuff. Um, but at the end of the day, like you kind of see when you make progress and you look back and then you see how far you've come. So I think that's the thing that's a motivating factor. Um, I think another thing is, is that like, I actually became really good friends with some of my members, right? Like, um, like, yeah. And that's it. Like, I mean, I even think about two years ago when we went to IHC oh, and we went to Montreal Space Symposium when COVID was not a thing, you know? And like, I see, for example, like us talking two years later on this podcast. And it's so cool because I get to say like, wow, I like got to spend like an amazing week with these people. And like, you know, you, you kind of, you kind of like look at like, you don't look at the isolated events of like, I'm so tired. You look at like the big picture 
and you kind of just like say like this was worth it so yeah, yeah. um i feel you you know like uh, i call it i i mention it as you know let's build space projects and be friends you know because uh, i you know we, developing that sort of you know I, I, the friendship develops also dependability which i think translates to higher productivity you know how about you rem yeah, what keeps absolutely. you going because i know you're very busy as well you know like <laughs> yeah um well to be honest looking back at the previous year dealing with online schools and then the two projects of space health leadership positions uh the main issue was not to keep pushing but on the country to learn how to take a break um, because if you work on all of these things you can easily lose yourself a little bit and just stop taking uh, care of your mental health and it's super important to learn how to take a break even if you have 10,000 things to do and deadlines etc if if you're not uh, in a good mental space you're not going to be able to perform so to every night be able to okay step down from your computer go take a walk and then eat and go sleep that's that's like a super huge important step yeah. I think. healthy habits yeah you know. yeah not just space health but healthy yeah habits. i've been there you know like uh yeah. earlier in the, the early days you know like sometimes you can go a little too hard and then you end up getting burnt you know yeah <laughs> Bad yeah and especially right now with um the whole quarantine and covid situation it's super important to to help yourself stay mentally healthy. Um, because if you just work, 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 and you don't even get to see your friends anymore, so it's super important. Yeah, I feel that so, you know, I feel that so hard because a lot of my energy comes from just sort of being social, talking to people, you know, and having a 10 minute break where I just chat with someone who's next to me, you know? I guess it's a good segue for one, my last question. I don't know no, if I'm familiar, but it's specifically, <laughs> specifically for you three. Could you guys like recount any uh, specific anecdote or hurdle in during uh, during your time in space recorded that you felt like you were just completely like stressed out and wanted to quit and or a hurdle like you can go into specificities about a hurdle that you just weren't able to uh, solve for like a good portion of your time in space recorded. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um. I would say for me the main issue that I had was more um, transitioning into the lead positions, not just space health lead, but also experimental biotechnology lead and all the sub uh, positions, uh, because I had to deal with public speaking. <laughs> and um, it's, it's, uh, it's not something that you think about easily. But if you're a member, sometimes, especially online, you don't necessarily need to speak to a lot of people You just uh, speak to your own teammates, and then you talk to your lead. But then if you take a lead position, suddenly you have to present to PDR, you have to present to CDR, you have to do public outreach, et cetera. And um, for someone who's not used to public speaking, that was kind of the big fear that I had when Amanda proposed to me to have the, to get the position. Oh, um, about, me? about you, Mario? Um, about me, uh, so what was the question again? It was my hardest, was one of the hardest... Mm -hmm. Hard, the hardest part of all you have to go through, like you can talk about like a specific part of the project that you're working on and you weren't able to fix and you're just going to become like, super stressed out. So, I mean, feeling, I guess. Yeah. I think, uh, I, can, I think, uh, one of the, uh, you know, like it's, uh, we're all students, you know, um, and sometimes, you know, uh, 
uh, that can be, I don't know. I, I found that one of the hardest things to do and sometimes uh, and for me was uh, try to communicating in such a way, in a very, in a, in a really meaningful way where you, you know, uh, you would be able to be productive, right? And um, lead to a very, uh, to high, very productive conversations, right? And um, make sure that, you know, everyone's on the same page and things like these, right? Um, it can be hard to do it sometimes, you know, because I guess life gets in the way, right? Um, and uh, I think uh, I was having a really hard time figuring out how to do this properly, right? And sort of understand uh, the dynamics, uh, not the dynamics, but understand the process and that we were going to follow and things like these, right? Um, I feel like I'm just rambling, but... <laughs> I don't know. It was hard, you know. Some, sometimes communication can be really hard, right? And but but that being said, I solved it, right? I was able to get through this process, and I evolved from that, and I I really really grew uh, as a person from that, you know. Like it, it genuinely changed the way that I, I I conduct myself, and I you know I show myself to the world, you know. Like um, this this is what I'm saying. You can build a lot of sort of fundamental experiences. Of, sort of that teach you so much about life through Space Concordia because you go through such challenging, uh, you know, uh, tasks and things that you do throughout your your stay at Concordia. But, you know, it, it teaches you a lot about yourself, right? And it's also, you know, I, I guess this has been my experience personally, but, you know, I don't know if everyone has this experience. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I, I feel like I rambled there. Amanda, anything you'd like to add? No, I, I mean, I, I do, actually. And I, I think that, like, I mean, uh, Mary was saying life can get in the way, right? So sometimes, like, depending on what's happening in your life outside of space, uh, space Concordia, like, definitely has, like, an influence on, like, how you are every day, right? So um, I had a period where I was lead of space health, and this is, like, October 2021 to January, sorry, October 2020 to January 2021. So I was in Europe for around three and a half months. And I had to, uh, I was taking part of an astronautics program. I was doing my thesis from abroad. Uh, so I was in Poland, Germany during COVID. Uh, didn't really have, you know, great uh, resources around me because obviously like university shut down. So you're working from home with very bad internet. And I somehow had to still manage the same number of people uh, with a six hour time difference, a thesis and an astronautics program and had to maintain still doing weekly meetings and CSU meetings and uh, sometimes being at council, sometimes not being at council, but all to say that um, basically managing my life back in North America, but being in Europe. And uh, that was incredibly difficult. And, uh, you know, you have to adapt a lot because you realize people depend on you. And uh, you can't just say, well, this is what I'm doing right now. So I'm going to just focus on me. You realize that like when you're leading a team, you're leading a team and, uh, you know, you, uh, you're, the way that they're feeling, the way that if they're stressed out, they don't know what they're doing. If they don't feel comfortable, you realize that you're the person that is going to have to 
take off a lead hat and step in as a friend and then go in and, you know, manage the team that way. So uh, I learned a lot about how to properly lead a team. And uh, because of that, I think I have very good relationships now with my teammates. So well, thank you for your answers, all three of you. I guess we can end the podcast here. Um, I'd like to thank uh, all three of you for joining me today. Uh, Amanda, Rim, and Mario, thank you. It was a very nice conversation and got me, allowed me to learn more about Space Health. And honestly, I might even join Space Health myself uh, in, the, in the coming fall semester. So <laughs> I'm happy with yeah, that. Maybe, maybe you guys are supposed to me. Yeah. Uh, You're welcome to join anytime. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, maybe I, I might, uh, I'm taking classes this uh, semester, but this summer semester, but I uh, am working as well. But uh, once my classes are over, maybe I'll join during the summer as well. So I just, uh, though it, it just seems easier to do it physically once uh, the hybrid classes are occurring. And we'll have access to the Space Concordia um under the hall building. <laughs> if you if you join now, the thing is we're giving in the names uh, now. I, I spoke with. Anyways, this is like probably it's, it's the li- literally off, the, the join podcast. now. The join now. You know, like the special. You know, like join now in this special. <laughs> join now. <laughs> no, what I was gonna say is that if this podcast is gonna obviously, if you're posting this part of the podcast, this is for anybody who's interested in joining Space Health and working on either Project 2.0 or 3.0 because it's gonna be starting in September. Uh, so that would be Space CPR or Project 2.0. It's uh, basically building a phantom system for um, pumping uh, a, a simulation of a cardiovascular system. You can work with Dr. Kadem and we can request uh, that you have access to the university over the summer. And then um, all you have to do is coordinate that it's two people at a time. There, so far, there's only six people's names that we're putting down as official people that can go into the lab. So if you do want to be a summer researcher, you're more than welcome to let us know and we can give you a breakdown of the projects and the different tasks you can do. Uh, working hands-on in the EV building. What if you're not in Montreal at the moment? <laughs> I'm not correct. I'm in the States right now. so. Uh, oh, man. Okay. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So I think uh, maybe I'll wait until the fall. No, so. no 50 American, 50 Canadian, okay? Yeah, we'll end it here. Uh, if you guys okay. have anything else to say, um, be my guest. So, uh, yeah, we are on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and LinkedIn, and the links will be down in the description below. Thank you for listening, and have a nice day.